Hello, I'm Hayley Jarrick, CEO of the Supply Chain Sustainability School. This episode of the People, Planet, Profit podcast was recorded as part of a video series. In this theoretical integrated design forum, architects, engineers, material suppliers, builders and facility managers tell us things they wish the others knew about sustainable properties. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining me for today. For those that don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself quickly for me? Hi, Haley. Uh, my name is Joe Carton. I'm the head of sustainability and social impact at Built. Uh, we're a national uh, head contractor. Uh, we build buildings and tenancy fitouts all over the country, as well as in New Zealand and London. Excellent. Now, I've invited you here as part of a series that we're all going to be talking about um, how the entire supply chain can work with each other and around sort of communicating between the different parts of that supply chain to produce the most sustainable outcomes. So I'm going to ask you four questions um, and, um, and we'll see how you go with giving some tips and tricks for people up and down the supply chain from you. So I'm going to start off with what's three things that builders wish that architects knew um, about sustainable properties? Awesome. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you for undertaking this task. Um, I think it's a it's a great sort of tongue in cheek way to uh, to call out the adversarial nature of the industry uh, and really reflect on the fact that we could all be doing so much better if we worked more collaboratively. So I suppose in the spirit of collaboration, um, I'll, I'll take you through the responses I've come up with to those questions. Um, but I would like to start by saying, you know, as a builder, I sort of see the hopes and dreams of, of building developers and, and owners and tenants get translated into designs. Uh, and then those designs are relayed to a long and complex global supply chain. Now, it's that supply chain that my team relies on to assemble various materials and products into, uh, into the building or, or tenancy office space. Um, and I see the theoretical come face to face with the pragmatic. Now, after 20 years of working in this space, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm starting to see the gap diminishing between what people would like to make happen and what people are making happen on site. We're building healthier uh, and more sustainable buildings and, and office spaces really uh, than ever before. But the problem is nations are still hell bent on economic growth, which means society is churning through resources at an unprecedented rate, uh, as, as well as this one time fossil energy reserve um, that we're eating up as if it was interest on a bank account rather than the principal. Um, so even if everyone in our property industry has the noble wish of making their own building or office sustainable in aggregate, our industry's operations are far from that. Um, so now to get to your questions, the first one was about architects. Um, I, I think my response will hopefully take the lens of, of, of of those ideas that I hope lead to more considered respect for Earth's planetary boundaries. So for architects, functionality, human delight, beauty, they're all incredibly important aspects of good design. Uh, and I honor your work, architects, you know, in really bringing these esoteric ideas into the concrete, pardon the pun. As we progress, I hope greater focus on the simplification of that materials palette you use to design uh, such that designing for disassembly and the future circularity of materials are taken into account at that earliest stage of pen to paper. Uh, I think that there's great cre creativity in taking the modular and making that special so that those modular units can then be relifed on other projects in the next life. The bespoke nature of building is what's leading to a lot of the waste. 
uh, with 30% of the life cycle carbon of buildings sitting in the upfront and body carbon and materials, it, it really is crucial that we choose materials whose lives uh, can be maximized over the long term and whose um, functions, sorry, are, are flexible to future uses. Simplification and avoiding composite materials you know, or for ease of repurposing and recycling. Awareness of the magnitude of upfront carbon, but also the flexibility of material choices and building designs are all concepts that I'd love to see more readily included in architects' designs. Owners' expectations are often grand, and I would love for architects acting as trusted advisors to really demonstrate that less is more uh, and, and really question the size and scope of an initial request to deliver only what is needed and no more. Awesome. That's such a great response. And I think it's it's so well considered as well. Um, and you're right, we do work in this ecosystem where everyone's getting, um, pulling in a lot of different directions, have a lot of different drivers and functions for what they do. But um, architects sort of being the first cab off the rank um, have an incredible amount of responsibility for then how things move through um, that mix as well. And I think that that's, that's going to come out a lot in what um, a lot of the suggest suggestions for architects <laughs> um, that come from different parts of the supply chain. Mm. So if I then sort of move down the, the mix a little bit, um, what are three things that builders wish that engineers knew about sustainable properties? Well, if I'm speaking directly to engineers, engineers, without you, our buildings wouldn't be able to withstand earthquakes. Uh, they have structural, they, uh, or have structural lives far longer than the economic ones. Far too often we see buildings that are perfectly good torn down because their redevelopment potential would yield greater economic value uh, or create the conditions inside that keep us comfortable and catered for with ample light, communication, security, and mobility. I urge you to continue to optimize structural designs to achieve that sometimes competing outcome of allowing future adaptability in building use typology to enable long-term viability of structures and amortize the embodied carbon over a longer period of time, a longer life, as well as to economize the materials used. I can see the conflict there. We rely on you to spruik the environmental and sometimes economic benefits of reusing existing buildings or any parts of buildings that can be repurposed over knocking them down for a clean slate. Finally, I count on you to fully explore and unpack opportunities for passive ventilation solutions and lighting within buildings to enable fresh air and natural light condition to condition buildings for as much of the year as practicable. We really need to do more with less and that includes harnessing nature's energy flows with minimal material and energetic intervention. I think that's so key as well. This whole, um, I think you've really touched it on there about uh, that, you know, optimizing the design and just being really economical with how we're doing things. You know, I really, I really enjoy the use of passive lighting and um, uh, passive ventilation, passive heating, passive cooling. It just makes so much sense. And I feel like that's an art form that's been lost so much over the years that is that, you know, the knowledge um, is there. We just have to sort of re-go back to it as if the, um, the prestige is in not needing the bells and whistles, right? Like the prestige comes from it being very simple in that mix. I think it's a symptom of, you know, readily accessible fossil energy. It just makes it so much easier to, to throw some fossil energy at the situation to heat and cool any dark space or any cold space, rather than what we used to have to do, 
before the era of, of, of cheap and abundant energy, which was work with nature, you know, use, use passive strategies to really create uh, habitable spaces. And we need to go back to those, uh, you know, those concepts from vernacular architecture in a, in a carbon and energy constrained future. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to the next one then. What are your top tips for material suppliers and what do you wish they knew about sustainable buildings from a builder's point of view? Okay, well, first of all, material suppliers, we come to you with a myriad requests, many of which you deliver with a smile on your face. But in an energy and carbon constrained economy, we also need you to work out how to stay in business when your model relies on a circular flow of material inputs leasing or selling and buying back product from consumers as the prevailing standard, rather than relying on constantly adding value to raw materials, the healthy dose of fossil fuel input, uh, and then uh, selling and ignoring the end of life outcomes of these materials. Designed obsolescence does drive dollars and fuel a consumer driven economy. But we know it's a party that will end in tears. So let's all work together on a model that aims to eliminate waste while ensuring you are compensated for your service of providing the materials we so gratefully use and reuse in our schools, homes, hospitals, workplaces, and other buildings. I think that that's so key. Um, and there's so, I mean, that one little thing is so jam-packed though, just keeping it circular, maintaining that fa- that value, keeping yourself in business. Um you know, the Kodaks of the world and all of the icebox manufacturers and, the, <laughs> you know, the world changes, people move on. You need to keep up with the demand of what's there and also just ensuring that you're continually adding value into that mix. I think you touched on that planned obsolescence is massive um, and we need to just sort of, it's really sort of changing that mindset of uh, that, you know, Uh, source, make, use, dispose model of the linear economy um, is really the negative Um, Mm. and it's not something we should all aspire to but really moving to the to finding the prestige and value in those circular models so I think you hit the nail right on the head um, with those material suppliers there. Thank you. Um, (laughs) And I think that then so you know I always think this is the fun part of the game right so we've got someone comes up with they want to build something then the architects design it the engineers make it stand up uh, the builders turn that into reality and then we hand them all over um, to some wonderful people to operate <laughs> either whether they be like you know residential homeowners or facility mm-hmm. managers or asset managers or building managers whatever you want to call them um, and they just sort of they get this wonderful asset and then they have to do things with it um, and I think that it's always fun um, in that mix to sort of see what, what ends up happening in the operations phase um, after it's sort of been handed over but from a builder's point of view what do you wish that facility managers knew about sustainable properties? Well first I want to just say facility managers you are underpaid and overworked you are very very likely looking after so many properties that you don't have time to sit down and strategically tune one facility to get the absolute best out of it. Rather like many of us in the economy, you spend a lot of time putting out spot fires just to keep the complaints at bay. Uh, you know, we're working hard to create digital twins for buildings that aim to make your life easier. With the click of a button on a model, you should get data around the optimal functionality, maintenance requirements, even end of life opportunities for equipment when repairing is no longer an option. 
In the next few years, it's critical that you obtain the skills required to drive these digital models of buildings and leverage them to optimize both a building's performance and maximize the circularity of resources in the building. We'll be ditching the paper O&M manual soon, and we need you to help us create digital twins that will give you all the tools you need to keep a building humming. And just for a comment on the homeowner space, my cousin's even working on an app right now that is effectively uh, an automated facility manager for their house, uh, where it really helps the, the um, digital native generation uh, to use technology in order to make sure that they keep their house maintained, um, which is a great opportunity. So this, this digital sort of win is coming to all typologies across the market. And it's such an exciting place to move forward. I know that we were um, sort of joking before we started recording that even like my daughter puts my video editing skills to shame, um, <laughs> which I'm sure you're all witnessing right now when you're watching this back on recording. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, you're right. There's just that that digital um, native Mm. Um, behaviors of the way people act um i certainly rely on my um reminders and calendar reminders to beep at me to keep me on schedule and things and i think that that is no different in reminding me to do maintenance on a on an asset that you've probably spend the most money you know most homeowners a home is the biggest asset that most people spend their money on in their lives mm. um and yeah it's probably the something that gets the least amount of attention when it comes to maintenance um so i think that's amazing that there's um that technology is sort of closing that gap in sort of keeping it ready for people to be able to maintain um and i think i really like that phrase that you used around like strategically tuning you know mm. it's just, that's exactly what it is it's sort of keeping it humming and doing the servicing and making sure that it's achieving um what it was designed engineered and built to achieve which is just amazing i mean look um, so even just talking about office buildings um uh, we're, we regularly talk about in, in with the services managers on my team uh, how a really good services a really good facility manager can make the difference between a full neighbor's star in the neighbor's rating and that's, wow. that's a lot right that's an incredible yeah. so that facility managers are um have the potential to be superheroes of the building industry and we need more people in there. Like you said, they need to be valued and getting in there. So um, um, more, more anyone, I think it's a great occupation to be able to get in as well as sort of getting in there, maintaining it. And the the evolution of um, who are the facility managers in this space is really changing from those that are retiring from maintenance and old builders yeah. um, into really um, people who have worked in professional spaces strategically managing subcontractors um, and maintenance workers alike and sort of really then looking to maximise rather than fix um, as they go through these spaces. So um, if anyone getting in the game of facility management, it's definitely a good time to get on board and um, expand that career as well. Yeah. Joey, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing your insights um, into this little fun series that we've put together um, for everybody to either watch on video or listen to on the podcast. So I really appreciate your time in joining me today. No worries. Thank you so much for having me along. I feel really humbled and grateful to be invited. Um, I, I just want to say, look, I'm conscious that there's plenty of finger pointing in an industry that's historically been quite adversarial. And I think the beauty of this series that you've put together is it enables us to see from each other's perspectives uh, and begin to sow the seeds of empathy and collaboration, right? That are vital to a truly decarbonized and circular economy. So thanks for your work. Happy to. Um, thanks everyone for joining us and I hope to see you again soon. Goodbye.